Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me, every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Julia Whalen is the author of Thank You for Listening, a novel. Deemed the Adele of audiobooks by The New Yorker, Julia Whalen is a screenwriter, lifelong actor, and audiobook narrator of over 500 titles. She has won numerous awards, including Audible's Narrator of the Year and the Best Female Narrator, Audie. Audiophile magazine has given her its Lifetime Achievement Award, a, quote, golden voice, and her performance of her own debut novel, the international bestseller My Oxford Year, garnered a Society of Voice Arts Award. Her new novel, Thank You for Listening, was a best of 2022 pick at Amazon, Audible, and NPR, as well as a Goodreads Choice Award nominee. She is also a Grammy-nominated audiobook director, a former writing tutor, 
a half-decent amateur baker, and a certified tea sommelier. Welcome, Julia. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss. Thank you for listening. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I would hold up the book, but it's next to my bed where I have been reading it as my treat every single night. I'm like, hey, you're excused. You're excused. (laughs) (laughs) I should take a picture of it over there. Anyway, congratulations. What a fun, but heartfelt and entertaining. And I mean, it has like all the good things that a book should have, really. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah. Like past traumas and working through things and friendships. And I don't know, it's, it's like... The full package, but the sense of humor is really, I think, my favorite. <laughs> I think it's so, it says a, a wit to it. Okay, tell listeners what Thank You for Listening is about, please. Sure, yes. Okay, so Thank You for Listening is about Swanee Chester, who used to be an on camera actress, but something happened to her, which we find out later in the book, but something happened to her and she doesn't do on camera anymore. She just does voiceover and specifically she narrates audiobooks. And uh, she has one rule, which is that at this point in her career, she doesn't like to record romance anymore because that's how she started her career. And she is so cynical that she just doesn't buy what romance is selling and she doesn't want to do it. But eventually she is given an offer for something she cannot refuse because she's trying to take care of her ailing grandmother. And this would give her enough money to be able to do that. And uh, she finds herself in a romance novel, hitting trope after trope after trope. And so it's very (laughs) meta and very self-aware. And it's a book about self-acceptance and how to make peace when our life doesn't go the way we thought it was going to go. Amazing. That was another piece that really resonated for me. I remember when I would visit my grandmother at her nursing home and there was that wing where you're like, oh, that's the next yeah. that's the next yeah. level up. Are we going to get there? Or, And then when you're touring it, you're like, oh, well, we'll you know, no, of course not. But then everyone ages. No, and- yeah, that wouldn't possibly be for her. No, yeah. yeah. But that relationship was also, that was great. And the dad who's not as into it. Anyway, so that was another piece I really liked. Um, even though it's sad. <laughs> yeah, I think that's um, the most personal piece to me, probably. I know that, you know, because of my, I'm an audiobook narrator, that's my day job. And I think that people think it's, that's the autobiographical part, but it's not like the, the ailing grandparent is the autobiographical part. And so that's like where the heart for me is in the book. Oh, who, which grandparent was it of yours? My dad's dad. So my father died very suddenly. Um, with uh, like when I was 27 and I sort of inherited my grandfather and my step-grandmother. And so I was taking care of two 86-year-olds for the last three years of their lives. And I had, that's actually when I was recording a fair bit of romance (laughs) under an alias to pay for that. And so I, I just had a that slow deterioration and wanting to do everything you can to protect someone and take care of them. But unlike with kids or something, you don't, you, it's, you never have the sense that it's going to get better. Like they're Mm -hmm. never going to get better. It's not going to improve. It's just a, you just want to make them as comfortable as possible until the end. And so that was a really formative experience for me, I think. I'm sorry. That is so hard. It's hard. I mean, yeah, but it's hard, but, and it's also beautiful in a way. Like I, I know that if my father had been alive, I probably wouldn't have been as involved as I was. And I wouldn't have had that final connection with my grandfather the way that I was able to, you know, at the end when it's like just us and, you know, Mm -hmm. that's, there's something beautiful about that too. And being able to be there for someone like that at the end is a privilege in a lot of ways, even though like I try to look back on my late twenties and I'm like, I didn't have late twenties. I was (laughs) I was just like a 
you know, what most people deal with with their parents at like 50 or 60. That's what I was doing at that time. So do you feel like that whole experience made you treat your own health and your own body and life a little bit differently? You know, I, yes, I think I wish I wish I could say yes. I'm also like terrible at prioritizing any kind of self-care. But I will say that I think particularly my father's sudden death was gave me that message very early on of life is short. And I've definitely taken that for the last, tw- you know, 10, 12 years to to heart. And I think that's why I'm a little bit pedal to the metal about things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's definitely formative. Definitely. Can you talk about how your father passed away? We think, I mean, it was, a, as far as we can tell, a heart attack. Uh, he was a type 1 diabetic, and he was also a firefighter. So there was a lot of mileage on yeah. that body. <laughs> he was really the person who was responsible for my grandparents. And so we just assumed there'd be this sort of like line of care. And then when there's not, and I think that for me to put that into the book, I didn't want to do a completely, you know, point for point retelling right. of my own life. I don't write memoir for a reason, right? I, I want to be able to have the flexibility to change what I need to change for the story to work, to make the point that I want to make. But I do think that for all intents and purposes, Henry is pretty absent. <laughs> you know, her father yep. and Blah's son is pretty absent. And it's just been like the two of them trying to work this out. So that was my version of it, I guess, my fictional version. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, it's a rom-com. <laughs> like, no, sorry. I know. I, I, I Make sure that people are clear about that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know. I go right to like the upsetting, you know, the, I don't know. I'm sorry. Yes. I said it was entertaining and funny and it, it is light too. Well, you're writing about grief and you know, you've done that. And I, I think that there's something, I mean, I guess that's just me. That's why I don't think I can write like a frothy, you know, as much as I love to read those books, I don't think I can because I like my happily ever afters earned, right? Like I like the, I like a little bitter with my sweet. That's just, Mm -hmm. that's my sensibility and that's what I enjoy. And, you know, I think it just enriches the the whole experience in books and life. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you have, you know, Swanee getting up there in this, in this romance audiobook, romance panelist role saying, you know, don't do this because there is no happily ever after. And it's, you know, don't believe it. And like silence afterwards. I mean, it's so funny. Well, and you, you don't want to say that in a, at a romance yeah. convention of all yeah. places. Yeah. She's like, oh my gosh, what did I just say? Oops. That's so great. Well, and then you also, of course, have what you talked about a minute ago, these sort of expectations and how as friends you set off on these goals, right? We all start out not all, but many friendships start out from college or school or a place where we're all, our launching off points are the same. And then we go in such huge different directions, like Swanee and Adaku, who's like really made it as a movie star, getting her first big thing and um, uh, first big milestone that they had come up with together. And, and that sort of, that sense of longing and jealousy, but also support. I mean, it's an intricate piece of relationships that I think is really highlighted during that time of life, that age. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Yeah, I think I think that's true. I was actually having this conversation in an interview with uh, Emily Henry about Happy Place. Have you read it yet? Okay. No, no, but I have it here and I've read okay. the other ones, but I have it and I'm getting to it. <laughs> I would suggest just 
slip it in. Just like put that at the front of the list. I know, I know, I know. I'm sorry. I have Because for these, no, but just for these themes and like this, this point of like you get to your early 30s. And I think that's kind of the first time where like the paths do start diverging. Like you either people are married or they're still on the apps or they've got kids or they don't have kids. And like suddenly the the it's fractal, like how people's lives start diverging and changing. And you're like, what do I actually have in common with this person anymore other than just history? And those relationships, that's why they become very dynamic and and fragile. But it's a it is definitely an interesting moment in friendships. And of course you took your audiobook narrator piece of life and put it into the book. There was that funny scene where Swanee's at the bar trying to convince the bartender that yes she does all the voices in the book and, and he's like no really you know she, yes. you're so good at dialogue too I really love that you but I would get that a lot I mean that was one of the things early on that was a question of how much audiobook is too much audiobook in this in this novel like you know how much do people need to know about the industry and and I just kind of made a list of things that I get all the time like what are the most common questions and can I kind of get out in front of it and answer it in some way so that everyone's on the same page when they start reading. And that was one of them is I will get st- still to this day comments of people being like, well, so who else is doing the recording with you? It's like, unless it's a multicast, like unless it's it's clearly multiple narrators, I'm doing all of it. I'm doing all of the characters. And, you know, that's uh, it's hard for people to get their head around. <laughs> what were the other ones that you wanted to make sure people knew? I think the prepping question, you know, like there is a what do, what goes into doing an audiobook. So there's, you know, a paragraph in there about her, seeing her prep a book, how that works. The questions of how you record, you know, I mean, it's for the most part, it's just going into the booth and self-recording and just talking to you, talking to yourself, <laughs> except when we get to see them in the studio together, which is rare, but does happen when for for uh, duet narration, particularly. And yeah, I mean, I think it's the the constant just care and attention to your voice, like always being aware of, you know, or her little, when she just tenses up at mispronunciations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, just really to- being totally unfit for any kind of human socializing <laughs> is the main point. Yes, I loved your mischievous, mischievous, you know. Yes, mischievous is my... Mischievous, that's, that's yeah. Like that nails on a chalkboard for me. <laughs> Did you get into narr- audiobook narrating after wanting to be a non-audiobook actress? Right, yeah. My story is a little bit different. I think I think now because audiobooks are popular and people actually see it as a career path, you know, somebody will say I want to become an audiobook narrator, but when I was starting, most people we just kind of all of us like fell backwards into this industry and it's because we were actors. And I had been a child actor and then left the business and went to college and was focusing on creative writing and English and was, you know, graduate and come back and and act on camera, but also write screenwriting, but then also prose. And then this just kind of came in to pay the bills. And I remember thinking, if I could do like one audiobook a month and that would just take some of the pressure off while I'm doing everything else, that would be great. And then within like a couple of years, I was doing 70 books a year and it was just like my full-time job and I was leaving no room for writing and everything that I had intended to do. And so a few years ago, I just started, I made the concerted effort to get back into writing and start pulling the books that were, you know, sitting in my hard drive, just not 
collecting digital dust, like started bringing those back out and working on them. So, and tell me what that path was like, like selling the first book and all of that. Yeah. So the first book, actually, my Oxford year came out of a screenplay that I had been hired to work on at Sony. And I think the producers got to know my opinions <laughs> about it and and everything that I wanted to bring to the book and the story and what was important to me. And this was actually right after my dad had died. And I was like, there's a whole book here about grief and carrying on and what that looks like. And and I I, I want to make sure that, you know, I was always trying to bring that to the screenplay and there's just, there's limitations there and there's only so much room. And one of the producers said, do you think there's a book here? Mm. It's like, oh, no story has ever wanted to be a novel more than a story that's like a book about an English professor at Oxford. Like, oh, please let me write this book. So that's how that came about. And um, they gave me free reign to tell the story that I really wanted to tell, which I will be forever grateful for. So that sold to HarperCollins, but I wrote that book really fast because we were trying to beat the movie. Like the movie was kind of in like pre-production. There was a cast. It was going, you know, and so just trying to do that, trying to be quick on a publishing timeline is Mm -hmm. impossible. (laughs) But yeah. And then, and then what about this one? So this one was after my, because I was writing literary fiction. I came out of a literary program. And so I was, I was writing like short story collections and I had a historical fiction uh, manuscript going for a while. And, and uh, then I wrote my Oxford year and it was kind of like sold and marketed as a rom-com, which it's like not, but at the time, I don't think we really knew what to call it. So I was sort of like, what's your next book going to be? And I was like, I don't know. This is not the way I think. I don't think in this market, in this Mm -hmm. genre, but I had been playing around with, an, again, a screenplay idea set in the audiobook world that was a rom-com. And I just thought, actually, this could be a book. And I think it would be a very bookish book that bookish people would enjoy, <laughs> a book about books. So yeah, with some reworking and cannibalizing Swanee from another novel that I was working on and folding her into it, just finally was able to bring this idea to fruition after about 10 years of noodling on what a good story set in the audiobook world would look like. So, yeah. Wow, that's so cool. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So now is it going to go backwards? Like, is, will this be a movie or a screenplay? Like, are you adapting this? I don't know. No, I'm not. I'm not doing anything right now with it. I'm letting it sit there. I'm working on the next thing and just moving forward. I mean, my experience having been, you know, in Hollywood most of my life is like, for me, it's a question of people have to come to you. Like everyone has to think it's their idea for anything to work. That's my sense. So I don't, I'm at this point, I don't like to pitch things or go in and try to sell them. I just feel like it's got to happen organically for people to have enough passion about something to carry it through to the finish line. Cause that's the hardest part. Interesting. I like yeah. that. Should I know what you were in as a kid? Am I embarrassed to not know? Oh no. It was a very popular for like a very small group of people, <laughs> but really wonderful, critically acclaimed series called Once and Again. It was on ABC and I'm still super proud of it. Like you can't even stream it. It's one of those, it's just in that like black hole, like late nineties, early two thousands where like those, those shows just aren't anywhere yet. But recently someone sent me like one of the episodes that was up on YouTube and I was like, it's so good. It is objectively and it holds up and it's just, we had a great cast and fantastic writers. It was the guys who'd done 30 something in my Mm so-called life. And it was just like... It's a really good show, but it ruined me for all other shows. Like I, didn't, I was like, if I don't, if I'm not getting to do this writing on a weekly basis, I don't want to do it. <laughs> so that's awesome. I'm gonna look it up. Maybe I watched it, and I, you know, my brain doesn't work properly anymore. So I feel like all show knowledge has like seeped out of one of my ears or something. So, do you listen to audiobooks yourself, or are you like over it by the time you finish recording? Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's not that I'm over it, but I don't have a commute and I, I can't have any more narrative in my head. Uh Like (laughs) between the books that I'm writing and the books that I'm recording and then the books that I'm being asked to blurb or something like I can't jump into, there have been so many books that I get to blurb. And my first instinct is, is, can I get the audio before realizing the book's not out yet? No one's done the audio for you. (laughs) Or I get a book to prep myself for audio and it'll occur to me. I'm like, I wonder if it's on audio. And it's like, no, honey, you're doing the audio. (laughs) So any opportunity I have in life to listen to audio just doesn't happen. (laughs) But that said, I I kind of like that in a way because the people that I love in this industry and I do love, 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 like my fellow narrators are just amazing. And they're people who I just like as people well, and you- without necessarily knowing their work. And there's something really kind of freeing about that. Yeah. So do a lot of narrators really use pseudonyms the way you said in the book? Yeah. Yeah. For romance particularly, but sometimes, so sometimes for different narrators, I always like to take the opportunity to explain this to people and why we do it. But I mean, novelists do the same thing, so it's not unfamiliar, but for some people, it's just a question of keeping like the branding straight. Like if I'm recording children's books or YA, you know, I don't want a kid to like stumble upon something they shouldn't if they're looking in an audible catalog. Right. But for other people, they have very real life concerns. I mean, for me, I was, uh, as a child actor, I had weird kind of stalkery interactions and I never wanted those men to be able to listen to me recording mm. 
like reading them erotic scenes. That felt like a huge invasion of privacy. I didn't want that. Other people have, you know, contentious custody issues or something, and they don't want to give the ex-husband a reason to be able to say, you know, she's unfit in some way, even though it's a job and it's romance and there's nothing shameful about it, but this is the society we're in. So I always tell people, fans, like, we all appreciate when you hear somebody's voice and you love it and you want to help other fans find that person by saying, you know, did you know they also record under these names? But you can't do it. Don't do it publicly. <laughs> do it privately, if anything. But that is important to so many people. And you do not have the right to out someone, mm. whether intentionally, even if it's best intentions, just be, you know, you'll, you can Google the person and you'll find out very quickly whether they're open about it. Some narrators, like some authors, like Nora Roberts, will be say, I'm also J.D. Robb, you know? And some narrators are very clear. They have, they work under both. But some are private about it. So just, I ask for politeness and consideration and, you know, <laughs> hopefully people get that. <laughs> every Everyone in every industry deserves, but doesn't yes. necessarily get. Somehow it just doesn't happen. We just yeah, don't. Crazy. Information is too easily spread these days. So. <laughs> What is the organization that you have met so many? Like, is there a, an organization like the ABA for books or something like that for audiobook narrators? And is that how you've become close with them? Or is it through informal ways, like just conferences? Like, how does that community get formed? Yeah, that's a good question. Because this is, again, how much the industry has changed over the years. So when I was getting started, we were still recording in studio. So you would meet people in the studio. And in 2012, particularly, there was this audiobook boom where Audible really dialed everything up and was like, we want to put, I think it was like so ambitious, like we want to put every book ever written. <laughs> and uh, we were pulling like, there were studios in LA that were open 24 hours. We were pulling graveyard shifts. We were just, it was recording, recording, recording. So I got to know a lot of the LA narrators from that. And there is a, the APA, the Audio Publishers Association, is how we have our yearly conference and awards show, the the Audis, and and that's kind of, we all come off of our islands and meet up there. And then a group of narrators just started the Professional Audiobook Narrators Association, PANA, where literally if you've recorded one title, but you want to join, you can. And I'm on the board of that, full disclosure. But we just wanted to be a safe space for narrators that are not about publishers the APA is wonderful and but they really are, they're there for the publishers and mm -hmm. there's we have SAG after our union that is incredible for negotiating for our purposes but not every audiobook narrator is a union member and so we just felt that there was this vacuum and uh, that's how we're trying to build a sense of community and bringing people together through that organization so that's great i've recorded four audiobooks i'll have you know Oof. <laughs> Wow. So that's like How did you find it? I'm curious because I would direct audiobooks or I did in the past and I would direct a lot of author reads. And uh, I always had like, I would run through my list of things to give them ahead of time. And like, here's how you may feel and trying to, but at the end of the day, all I could really do was just be there for them for whatever would come up. Did you find it difficult or? I went into it having had lots of authors tell me how emotional it had made them, not in the context of me, just like as I was interviewing them. So I, I had a heads up 
that there might be floodgates. So I knew to be prepared, I brought tissues. Whereas had I not gotten that, I would have been blindsided and perhaps more emotional for some parts of what I was reading. I found it really fun. You know, I love to read. I read to my kids. I read out loud. I love, you know, I'm used to talking into a microphone, but um, all the interruptions, like, okay, let's take it back from there. Okay. Let's just say this one again. Like, okay. Uh, you know what, that whole part where you were just like crying hysterically about your grandmother dying. I'd like, just do that one again. (laughs) Right. It wasn't clear. We didn't totally get it. So if you could just go back. Yeah. I'm like, really, really again. And then I would like do it again and cry again. Uh, Just, just the last little bit. So, you know, (laughs) know, it was funny and I enjoyed it. Um, and I was like, this would be a great job because you, you read books all day. That was what I was thinking. Like I could totally, and I wasn't that good at it, but if I were good at it, it would be a really great job, you know? So, well, no. And I think that that's the, I mean, look, everyone who, because there's not a lot of money in it. So the question is like, even for other voiceover actors, it's like, if you don't love books, <laughs> you don't love spending eight hours a day in the booth, you're going to hate this. Like mm-hmm. this is not, this is not worth it. So it's a very, and I think this is why I like all of the narrative in the industry because it's a very, it self-selects people who are fine, you know, just living in the, in the world of books, talking to themselves, (laughs) being a little bit vampiric in our booths, like never seeing the sun. Um, it's a very specific type of person. Yeah. Well, we should really do like a big marketing campaign to get our books just into audiobook narrators' hands. Do you know what I mean? Like if they're all such big readers, half you know, outside of work, you know. So yes, yeah, and a lot of people. I mean, that's the thing is that I think you know, especially now, audiobook narrators have their own followings that they bring. Yes, well, the yeah, books. That too. So you're able to borrow the audiobook narrators' fans, um, and it's a, it's a, it's a very change, rapidly changing, really profitable industry, and I think everyone's trying to like figure out what it's going to be in the next five years. And, uh, it's, a it's dynamic. And I just, we all, we do it because we love it. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And it is fun. It is fun. Amazing. So if you had to choose audiobook recording or writing and you had to give up one, which would you give up? Oh man. <laughs> you know, I think for me, I would probably go with writing just because that is what I always was setting out to do. And that's what I've been kind of my whole life. That's been the impulse. And I have so many stories that I want to tell. And when I'm recording other people's stories, I just don't have the time to tell them. And again, we go back to, to in a nice narrative device to loop back to the beginning of the conversation. But that life is too short thing, you know, is always hanging over me. And I've recorded over 500 books in my career and I love it and I love what it's given me and the relationships it's given me and the authors that I have become close with as a result. And I love it, but I don't think at the end of my life I would look back and say, I really wish I'd done another audiobook." where I will absolutely say, I really wish I could have written another novel. Interesting. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. Are you working on another novel? I am. So this was not part of the plan, but I, this one story could not let me go. And it's the book that they're recording in Thank You for Listening. No way. The prop novel that they're recording, uh, Casanova LLC, which started as, you know, what's the most ridiculous romance premise I can come up with. And then I had to work out so much of the story and the characters to make the scenes work in Thank You for Listening that I was like, actually, this is way more interesting than it has any right to be. 
So yeah, I'm exploring that. I'm hoping to do that soon. I think it's mainly for audio. I'm going to just do the audio and uh, and then move on to the to the next thing. But this is just, I got I to gotta get it out. I got to share it with people. Too many people have asked for it and I'm really enjoying it as ridiculous as it is. <laughs> I think that is brilliant. That's such a great idea. I can't oh, wait good. for that one. Good. Yep. <laughs> do you have any advice for aspiring authors? Perspiring authors. I'm not a prescriptive person. Like I'm not, you won't, you won't hear from me. You have to write every day or you have to have so many rejections or whatever. I, I don't, I don't do that. I think everyone has a process that works for them. But the one thing I will say, because this is what my job, my day job has given me is read widely, read, 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 and read also in categories that you do not want to write in because that's the thing that being a narrator, you know, it's like, I don't know anything about sci-fi, but like I would get a book and it'd be like, figure it out. And I, sometimes when you only read in your genre, you don't have, like, it's, it's helpful to see how a sci-fi writer solves the third act problem or how, you know, a horror novelist does a hook. Like those are things that when you read it in your own genre, sometimes become invisible. And mm. so read like a writer, read like you're trying to figure out how something was constructed. And sometimes that's easier to do when you're reading outside of your own genre. So that's my advice. Okay. Excellent. Very specific and actionable. I like it. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> Good. Good. Well, thank you, Julia. Thank you so much for the book and the conversation and the tips and all of it. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This was lovely. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.